Fuckers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 17. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. My guest this episode is Stavros Giannopoulos. Stavros is guitarist and co-vocalist of one of my favorite bands, The Atlas Moth, a blackened, sludge-infused, psychedelic metal band from Chicago with a trio of critically acclaimed albums that led up to their fourth and best full-length record, Coleman Noir. If you're a fan of Gojira, you may have caught The Atlas Moth on tour with them across the United States just a couple of years ago. In a 4K review, Kerrang! praised their new album for its sludgy doom, gigantic spaciness, sprawling post-metal odysseys, gnashing riffs, and mixture of the epic and abrasive, comparing them favorably to like-minded bands Neurosis and Cult of Luna. Stavros was also a member of the black metal supergroup Twilight, alongside Rest of Leviathan, Blake Judd of Nocmistium, and Imperial of Krieg, taste-making producer Sanford Parker, whose albums regularly end up in the year-end list in Decibel Magazine, and indie rock legend Thurston Moore. Upon joining Twilight, the Sonic Youth leader declared, We're not coming together to make music. We're joining forces to destroy all rational thought. Stavros spreads his creative wings even further as part of Chrome Waves, a shoegazing post-black metal project spearheaded by Jeff Wilson of Wolfhammer, Abigail Williams, and Knock Mistium, among other bands. My good friend and former bandmate, the late great Jason McCash, was a touring member of Chrome Waves. The band also includes another Knock Mistium alum, drummer Iron Bob Fouts, who played with McCash and I in Burn It Down before the pair reunited in The Gates of Slumber, one of my favorite bands of all time. It was Bob who first introduced me to Stavros, rightly assuming we'd become fast friends and expertly matchmaking us as fellow Metallica superfans. Yes, Stavros is a person of stature in the cred-soaked circles followed by Pitchfork, Stereo Gum, and Brooklyn Vegan, but he loves Metallica, including, and in some ways especially, Load and Reload. As we discuss in this episode, Stavros was born on Cliff Burton's birthday, February 10th, in 1983, the year Kill Em All was released. His first cassette was a copy of Justice for All, and his first concert was Metallica, when he was just five years old. He also possesses the most extensive collection of rare Metallica recordings of anyone that I know. Before we jump into this episode, have a listen to The Atlas Moth to get a feel of what he's all about. The more stripped-down version of the band heard on Coma Noir, their first album with prosthetic records, definitely has some elements of the band that we love the most here at Speak and Destroy. Here's The Atlas Moth with Galactic Brain.
hope you enjoyed that even half as much as I did. So here it is, my conversation with Stavros of the Atlas Moth. This is Speak and Destroy. Tell me about Young Stavros and your entry point to music and eventually heavy music. Well, there was no entry point to music without heavy music, uh, oddly enough. It was it was what the music was. My parents uh, didn't listen to music, really. Uh, was not a thing. Um, my brother didn't listen to music at all, really. Um, and my sister was, well, she's 11 years old than me, and I was born in 83. So when I was five, she was 16, and that was 1988. And uh, in a way to get back at my brother, who she did not get along with, uh, she got me a uh, Walkman and a cassette version of And Justice for All for my fifth birthday. <laughs> and then, wow. um, yeah, shortly thereafter that, uh, possibly before it, obviously my um, you know memory is a little shady around this uh, time frame, but uh, they had an extra ticket to Metallica, and I believe it was the cult uh, at the UIC pavilion in Chicago. And she begged my mom to let uh, her take me. So she took me when I was five because he did the justice to her. So that was the, uh, that was the beginning, man. Wow. So you, um, first of all, you were born the same year as the first Metallica record was released. Not only the same year, not only the same year, but the same day as Cliff Burton. Oh, Wow. Which, oh, which, I'm a Metallica uh, baby. <laughs> which, uh, which, happy recent birthday. So you have yes, absolutely. So you have the same birthday as Cliff Burton. You were born the same year as the first Metallica album, and your first concert at age five was Metallica, and your first record was Metallica. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm pure Metallica. This is also the reason why I won't let anybody call me a hipster, right? You know, because like I saw Metallica in the '80s. You know, so you can't call me a hipster ever. I'm more metal than anybody, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean, and this uh, this explains so much about our friendship um, from <laughs> like from moment it was one, like most meant from to the be. jump. Yeah, I, I do recall when Bob Fouts initially told me to get a hold of you that he's like, "Yo, he's as big of a Metallica dork as you are." So I was like, "Oh, well, that's fine then." You know? <laughs> yeah, we had we had uh, Bob and I had many a friendly verbal sparring match about '90s Metallica versus '90s Slayer. Yeah, well, you know, that is a thing. Oh, all I, all I know is Metallica never took Ultra Spank on tour. Just saying. No, they didn't, you know, but they did <laughs> use a pedal steel, which is, you know, there's a couple things. The Hurdy Gurdy, I don't know. The Hurdy Gurdy. I love that song, though. Yeah. <laughs> the Hurdy Gurdy. Oh, man. I know you love that song, and we're going we're gonna to get there. Yeah, I hope we got to get there. I have a couple of talking points. So what do you, so what do you remember about that first Metallica? We, we would have seen them almost on the same tour for the first time, because the first time I saw them was Monsters of Rock with Van Hagar, Scorpions, Doc, and, and Kingdom Come. Metallica was second of five. And as I've, I've told this story on this podcast before, but my buddy and I went in our Metallica shirts, stood with our middle fingers up for Kingdom Come, <laughs> watched Metallica, and then went home. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, I'm assuming this probably would have been a pretty similar thing aside that Metallica was headlining. Yeah. Um, same same recall, record, though, yeah. 
Yeah, same record. Yeah, actually, was it was it eighty seven for Monsters of Rock or no? Am I wrong? Was it eighty eight? Um, it was eight. I believe it was eighty eight, but it was before the record had actually come out. So I remember. Right. I, you know, I have several bootlegs from that tour that I remember it being like first time they played Harvester of Sorrow or something. Exactly, like that. and that and that um, was that was really exciting for us because this was you know pre internet, and also Metallica wasn't a band that radio cared about. So hearing Harvester of Sorrow live was the first time hearing that song, period. And that, yeah, was, that yeah, was insane when they're like, we're going to play a new song. And we're like, what? what? Yeah. yeah, and it was also Harvester of Sorrow. <laughs> exactly. You know, which like I recall, I, I have a, the, I, the first time they played Fuel, I was there for, which isn't as nearly as cool. So there's that. <laughs> hey, I, I've said this on the podcast before, too. Fuel is you know, love it or hate it. It's great in a 2018 Metallica set list because, uh, there's this little word dynamics. I sound like Donald yeah. Trump. There's a word <laughs> dynamics. There's um, a word dynamics. <laughs> uh, Sounds like fake news to me. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's great. in that, uh, you know, I was Alex Skolnick actually mentioned on the podcast that that wasn't a song he was really a fan of. Uh, you know, when it was released and then when he saw the band semi recently, he was like, wait, I really dig this song in the live setting. It really uh, serves a great purpose here. Yeah. You know what? In all honesty, it's a song that I really championed when it came out because it was more of a heavy rocking song that wasn't kind of wasn't. Well, I didn't think at the time it was goofy. It's a little goofy now. Uh, it's also in a car commercial, you well, know, which kind of bummed me out. Well, and here's the, here's the thing too is, um, you know, uh, mechanics and four horsemen have been a, a topic of conversation on numerous episodes here uh, with first with Rob Flynn and then uh, with David Ellison, who, of course, is the bassist on the version of mechanics we all know and love. And um, one of the things I always say is that mechanics is the better song and four horsemen has the better lyrics. But with that being said, you know, Hetfield Hetfield wrote a car metaphor song you know a couple decades yeah. later so that's true you know, we can't we can't really knock the uh i mean i guess headfields isn't about sex it's like literally about cars but yeah it's totally about cars maybe booze yeah you know definitely cars yeah uh, i'll tell you what man um we might be already just getting off topic but regardless uh i'm not a big fan lyrically of kill them all as a whole yeah, that. What do you mean off topic? We're talking about Metallica. We're, we're on topic, <laughs> well, dude. Yeah. Well, technically, we were talking about what the uh, what I remember from my first concert. Yes. We'll uh, get, but, so, don't, don't worry. Yeah. We'll, 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 circle, we'll, we'll segue we'll back. There. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, the, it's kind of funny because I remember what was it? Uh, was it? It was Hardwired when Hardwired came out. Everyone on the internet was sitting there being like, "Oh my god, these fucking lyrics are terrible." And I'm like, um, "Are you? Have you never heard Kill 'Em All'?" Like, you know, have you never heard no, no life till leather gonna kick some ass tonight well all right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly like in my leather and my spikes you know i'm gonna bang my head against the stage like i never did before we're not talking like hefield is ever like you know a lyrical powerhouse here you know like uh i mean, except I, I, for, I, 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 mean honesty, I mean he literally I, he literally says we are metallica in a song <laughs> Yeah, seriously, I mean, it's awful, you know, I actually, and this is uh, one of my arguing points always about load was that I actually think that when you take away like ain't my bitch, of course, you know, um, fuel, you know, like some of those, I'm going to say these are some of those best lyrics and they hold up, you know, like, I mean, I think that like when you look back at the eighties, yeah, you know, like these like, uh, 
call to arms, heavy metal militia type things are, are cool, you know, and they probably fit the time, you know, but like, uh, as far as, uh, aging, you know, you really can't, yeah, you really can't they, they, they sound, them. they sound very dated. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, you know, some of those similar metal anthems and specifically thrash metal anthems like bonded by blood by Exodus and rattle. Sure. Yeah. Rattlehead yeah. by Megadeth. Um, those are awesomely cool in their own way. But then even just a couple of years later when Exodus was literally doing the toxic waltz, like by that point it was kind of like, eee, this is, uh, this feels. Yeah. It's so a cool. little, yeah. You're a little walking the line there, you know? And like, you know, honestly though, like if someone that I don't, doesn't know anything about metal was like introduced to Metallica, I wouldn't necessarily go with load, but I certainly wouldn't go with kill them all. Interesting, because I think yeah, it's, uh, there's there's an argument to be made for kind of starting with that blue point, but yeah, they hadn't. Kill 'em All had, uh, you know, it's a record that I appreciate for its punkness. I mean, it's basically sure, it's raw, it's awesome. You know, I mean, it's it's my least favorite of the first four. Yeah, How I mean, it, uh, yeah, same here, and it's um, well, le- least favorite of the first three, I would say. It, it's it's really, it's Motorhead meets Diamond Head through the prism of Southern California. Um, wow, that's which, a, that's an intense. Uh, that, that's very on point too. Which is all awesome, that. you know. It's yeah, a it's bunch great of awesome stuff. Things. Yeah, um, but yeah, it certainly doesn't even hint at what was to come in in terms of how kind of epic and uh, you know all the twists and turns they would take. So let, let's talk about that show. I mean, you're five years old. I mean, that's. I mean, I, I I I saw Kenny Rogers and the Oak Ridge Boys when I was about that age. So <laughs> <laughs> I had a I had a pretty awesome, uh, uh, you know, first few concert experiences. You know, just because my sister was so much older and my parents were oddly so European yet so very open to me uh, experiencing new things, which I, I look back at as a blessing. Um, but yeah, I uh, I I recall uh, being told to boo the cult and i did uh i remember my sister and her friend sharing a cigarette and her telling me to not tell mom which i assume wasn't a cigarette now my elder age and i recalled doris falling oh wow and yeah yeah and i recall you know i mean looking at james hetfield in 1988 uh i mean there's really no harder human being on the planet than that circa 87 88 hetfield you know, uh, the dude was incredibly larger than life. As I mean, the band in general were, you know. But I mean, like, I couldn't tell you how awesome they played. I mean, everything was amazing until you're like 20, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> right. But you know, like, I mean, I I, rec- I can actually recall the first time I was like, oh wow, that band I went and saw was terrible, and like it was, <laughs> you know, uh, it wasn't any time early on, you know. But I assumed that Metallica was fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I recall all that. I recall. Uh, coming home a little bit later than my mother pleased I was, and I was in trouble for it. But other than that, you know, all went all was well, and uh, it set me off on my path. You know, honestly, from that moment on, I was like, man, I think I want to play a guitar in a band. Do you remember uh, which band Newstead was representing for with his T-shirt? Well, not probably Metallica. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm. I'm gonna guess it was Metallica, Megadeth, yeah. Sacred Reich. Um, Pretty much one of those three. <laughs> that yeah, era, that exactly. era. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the let's face facts here, right? I'm pretty sure that Metallica has had like some sort of clause in their bass player contracts that you must wear a Metallica shirt and possibly the ones not selling well, 
You know, they're like, hey, you put on the basketball jersey. We're way behind them. We're way overstocked on those. Put that fucking thing on, you know? Yeah. And put on the flaming skull shirt. We haven't sold nearly enough of those yet, you know? Like, you, you could you could uh, make an argument that there's a, a Steve Harris-ness going on with that. True, true. I mean, I, I'm curious more about the Trujillo scenario that's going on right now. You know you what, know, Maybe though? he's also just super stoked that he's in Metallica. I mean, I would. Hey. Let's talk about this. You're you're the you're the guest to have this conversation with, other than you know Robert <laughs> Robert Trujillo himself. Sure, I got to give him serious props since we're talking specifically about fashion. In that <laughs> now, now, now the words Robert Trujillo and fashion serious props all in a sentence together might sound it's insane, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like I almost got a headache from that. To be honest with you, if you look at recent Metallica shows within the past year let's say two years hardwired album cycle the dude is rocking black t-shirts and fitted jeans and he looks awesome really i, mean, no, I haven't really looked i don't think yeah and he's uh you know he, he's obviously very fit and, and looks cool and plays with such intensity and an amazing bass player and all that uh super nice guy i've had the opportunity to, to meet him a handful of times he's doing jeans and t-shirts and he looks awesome because i'm gonna say that uh his initial entry into the band. I mean, look, the basketball jersey and shorts and the crab walking and all that looked great in Suicidal Tendencies. It looked interesting enough in Aussie. It never fit in with Metallica to me. And that, and, and that's to take nothing away from him as a performer, as a bassist, as a dude. I love him in Metallica and, and all of those senses. But, but, but the look, it just never felt right to me. And I got to say, in the last couple of years, he looks cool. Like he fits. He fits. I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't think I've looked into too much in the last couple of years. You know, I haven't got a chance. There was like, I recall once Newstead was kicked out of the band, I was like, you know what? I'm never paying for a Metallica show again. You know, because oh, yeah. I was super well, bombed. Well, very, well, very well, I, I, I suppose you could argue for, forced out, but he, 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 he did quit the band. He wasn't actually. Right. Out. Yeah. You, you, you could argue many things about it. Uh, once he was gone, I was like, you know, I've never paid to see a Metallica show again. I somehow or another wound up at every single Metallica show for the next couple of years because people kept buying me tickets or my best friend and I, you know what I'm saying? It was really impossible. And somehow or another, that streak has ended. So I haven't, I haven't seen them. You know, they played Soldier Field in Chicago. Uh, it is such a giant pain in the ass to do that. Um, so, yeah, I haven't got a chance to see them the last couple of years. And I admittedly haven't been uh, YouTubing much of their stuff from the Hardwire tour. Always look up a set list. You should, yeah, I, I I would recommend checking that out. I mean, and they uh they put up on the regular. I mean, it seems like daily actually. I mean, they've always put up their entire shows as MP3s, but they've also in recent years been putting up a song or two from every show, pro shot, multi camera angle. Oh, that's pretty uh, rad. Pro sound, yeah, and they've also something they've started doing, which I appreciate. You know, for a long time they've been putting up their rehearsal room stuff, like little montages and clips. But lately, they've been using audio. They have like a a soundboard in the room, and they've been doing soundboard audio. So you hear kind of this raw them shooting the shit and riffing and and playing, you know, Slayer licks or whatever. Um, but then when they actually break into rehearsing a full song, you get soundboard audio, and it sounds really good. See, you know, that's like the one thing I feel like every no matter how you feel about Metallica nowadays and present day or whatever, I think you have to give them so many props for how much they give their fans. You know, like not only do they have a fan base that is rabid and that wants more and more and more and more and more, they give it to you. And I'll tell you what, if I was 
the same way I was when I was 13, collecting, you know, trade, literally trading cassette copy bootlegs and VHS copy bootlegs on like primitive AOL internet to people I'd never even met. Uh, if I was that kid in this day and age, I would be going nuts. And I have to say one of the more impressive things for listeners to understand about you is you have an extensive Metallica collection. It's out of hand, man. I still have it. I can't even bear to like get rid of it. It's a crazy. And you had you, <laughs> like, and you had so much stuff that you had digitized that when we first were getting to know each other, I guess I don't know, ten years ago or something. We, you know, I was hitting you up. Some some friends, you're like, hey, give me everything you have. In your case, I had to literally cherry pick because it was like, it's I mean, insane. You're not man. gonna yeah, you're not I gonna just... you're not gonna drop off a terabyte. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the time, I don't even think I could send you a terabyte. Right, I don't think the internet right. was up on that yet, you know? Like, exactly. I mean, that's literally where it's at. I mean, I, I, it's funny, man. Uh, everyone used to call me in high school. They used to call me either one of two things, and it was either Metallica Steve or Bootleg Steve. Uh, <laughs> because I would have I – I don't know, like, how I even got into it initially, but, like, uh, back in the day, you know, anybody old enough to recall, there was these, you know, members.aol.com slash whatever your name was, right? Yeah. And you could build a website. Somehow or another, I stumbled across um, this dude that had cassette bootlegs. And basically what it was, was, you know, you could send them double the amount of VHS tapes or cassette tapes, because there's this pre-CDR here. You could, you know, so say if he had a cassette bootleg of Metallica that took up three cassettes, I would send him six and he would send me back three with them copied, you know, and same with VHS. So, you know, like I have literally mountains and mountains of uh, pretty rare stuff, actually. Um, I don't know how available most of it on the Internet, but I think I'm only missing one full show from Cliff Amal VHS wise. Wow. Which, from what I know, it was never circulated. You know, I mean, I have I've had the first uh, Cliff show and the last Cliff show for years. Um, all sorts of stuff, man. Like, and in all honesty, uh, with these new box sets coming out, like there's definitely been some uh, hankering for me to replace some of my things. You know? <laughs> right now, that, uh, now, you know, now that you know you have the most it. sourced. But you know what's interesting is I, is I I mean I understand as a fan for a long time now that. Lars has been, in addition to the many, many roles that he plays in Metallica, one of his roles is he's also like the historian, that he's the yeah. guy who, who maintains the archive and has the vaults, so to speak, with, you know, laminates and, uh, you know, all this sort of memorabilia. But my impression, and I would love to dig in and find out more about the process of how they're putting these box sets together, but my understanding is they're crowdsourcing uh, and, and chasing things down. You know, I saw that they even had kind of put out the call like, hey, did you were you at any of these shows and this and that? And it's exciting to me the further we get in the process, because obviously when they're doing Kill Em All or even Ride the Lightning, they're going to be limited in the amount of material that survived or that they have access to. Whereas right, absolutely. the further we get, the more stuff there's going to be, you know, and, and I think you and I are in that um, unique and specific fan base that's going to be excited about the load and reload box sets to see what gets on earth there. And, and, you know, and given how much they have always given to their fans, I, I'm, I'm curious to know what's out there that they haven't mind, you know, cause we have you and I fans like you and I, we have demos that were put out as B sides. We have totally. Yeah. Or I mean, I don't even know how they were even put out. Some of them, there's been a ton that's been, I don't even know how I got them or how anybody else got them. You know, they weren't on B sides. I think I've sent you some of those. 
Yep. You know, that worked out. You know, like there was there was some put out there, but there's a ton that wasn't. And you're right. I've thought about the exact same thing about as we go on, there is so much more material. Um, I'd like to say that maybe I had something to do <laughs> with uh, the money will roll right in being included. Um, nice. The new puppet yeah. set because yeah. I know Brian, I know Brian Liu, who uh, goes by Umlaut. Yes. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, who doesn't know Brian Liu? Murder in the front row. Uh, well, for Murder our in the front row. For our listeners who may not know, Brian Liu is an OG original, uh, what was it, the Bay Bridge Militia, the old school Metallica uh, ensemble kind of crew. Uh, Basically, if there's, a, if there's a photo taken of Hetfield or anybody in that Bay Area in 80, 81, 82, it was by Umlaut taking yeah. that photo. And he and he, he put out a book and he, uh, he also, he now works for Super 7 Toys, so he's responsible for... You know, the Misfits action figures, the King Diamond one they just announced. Um, you know, a lot of those cool uh, different toys have had it. You know, the Iron Maiden toys that are coming out. Uh, and I'm talking about, like, the, the cool retro reaction figures that are. I had no idea he worked for Super 7. I know you and I have dorked out over reaction figures before, so that's really exciting stuff. <laughs> it's, oh, dude, it's killer. Especially because, you know, it's like the pendulum swing with a lot of things where you get this, like, super perfected... Um, you know, video games now look like real life, and then the, the the Nintendo classic comes out, and everybody loses their mind for it. And I think action figures are the same way. Like, I'm not so interested in a McFarlane toy style, super realistic, you know, a thousand points of articulation action figure these days. I'm more interested in those reaction figures that have that dumbed down, retrograde, um, well, absolutely, vibe, you yeah. know, like I, that's the King Diamond figure I want, you know. Right, right, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, I collect uh, different wrestling, or I, I collect wrestling figures, so a little bit different. But even at the same time, I like the retro-looking ones, you know. Right. So like, I'm with you on that. Hey, I'm gonna have uh, uh, Chris Jericho on the podcast pretty soon. So speaking of wrestling, oh, so wait, okay, this is excellent segue here, my friend. I have an amazing Chris Jericho story involving Metallica. So he does a great he does a great Lars impression, which I'm looking forward to having him. Oh, I I can't wait to hear that. Uh, I've actually been meaning to catch him. Obviously, we just signed with Prosthetic Records, and Steve Jose uh, is our A and R guy. Who, uh, once again, people who don't know Steve Joe is a uh, quite the man in the metal world. Um, he also signed Fozzie, and I've been meaning to get a whole. I've been like I've been dying for that time where I get to meet Chris Jericho, so I can bring this up. 1998 on the Reload tour, I was uh, front row, um, uh, and I had just gone uh, to like three shows in a row. And and you're like and you're like 15 at this time, right? So you were so you were in the you were in the Metallica fan club in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, I was in there since I was like uh, 11. I was um, in the front row, and uh, let's go. Sorry, everyone just walked into the room here. Okay. <laughs> uh, Scott Kelly's fucking with me right now. We're talking about Metallica right now. <laughs> I'll be down there a little bit. Yeah, sorry. So anyway. Uh, 1998, it's a Jerry Cantrell Days of New Metallica, right? I'm in the front row. Burn It Down was the local opener on that show in Indianapolis. Go on. <laughs> and by, and by, was, and by local opener... Show too. <laughs> and, and, and by local opener, I mean played in this little walkway between the gate and where the stage was. Where was they, that, that, was, that was in Noblesville, Indiana. Yes, was in that, uh, yes Duke, Duke I was Creek Amphitheater. there. And they said, well, that's amazing. And they said... I um, was there. <laughs> you walked right by Fouts and I as you came in, and we uh, 
they told us to just play for two hours as people were coming in the door. We oh, had, yeah, play just a quick two-hour set. Yeah, yeah, at that time, we had a seven-inch, so... Yeah, also, that was the problem. We did, like, we, we, we did like five or six songs, and our songs were, like, two and a half minutes, so we did, like, five right. or six songs no on a cover, literally over and over and over and over. We just kept playing the same songs over and over. It sounds awful, but I would have done it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, and and then I just got to, every every time we did a bio, I just put, you know, Metallica on the list of bands we'd played with. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so we were there. I was in the front row, and at this point, you know, like, uh, I'd like to think that all the guys in Metallica had kind of noticed me. Uh, being in the front row three days in a row. Uh, so I'm standing there at the set ends. Uh, Hatfield walks over towards me and he gives me a wink. And oh, mind you, uh, right after Metallica started, in between the front row or uh, the guardrail and the stage, out walks Chris Jericho. So I'm sitting there like, holy shit, Chris Jericho is like five feet in front of me. You know, just me, guardrail, Chris Jericho, stage Metallica. Um, whoa, what a, what a crazy, what's going on here, you know? So I am sitting there, uh, encore ends, they're just throwing out picks, Hetfield walks over, he throws, he winks at me, he throws me a pick, and it bounces off the palm of my hand. Oh, shit. And it falls in between the guardrail and the stage right in front of Jericho. So I go, hey, Jericho, help me out, man, give me my pick. He looks at me, he looks at the pick, he looks back at me, shrugs, and grabs the pick and throws it in his pocket. And I'm like, that bastard. No so way. I, by by this, the way, by the way, this is, this is not where I thought the story was going to go. <laughs> right. And that's where it went. So I have been waiting for years to get my comeuppance on Chris Jericho. So Dude, you I'm... can tell him that he has made the list for me. And I'm coming for him. You it's know, gonna happen. You know what I should do is I should take this segment of this episode and play it for Jericho when, I I, when really he's on like the podcast. <laughs> I would really like you to do that because he's made the list, my friend. He's going down. You know, I'm finding him. Is it possible now? I'm now. I don't know much about wrestling, uh, and I have lots of friends who are who are like yourself, who are massive fans. Quite quite into it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Jericho was a heel, right? So that's something that I'm a little – well, he's gone back and forth, right? And I want to say at the time he was a heel. I was going to say, so maybe he was in character. <laughs> uh, so what I've been told is that he does always stay in character when he is a babyface or a heel. And now as much as I love the commitment to the gimmick, he's still – I still hold that against him. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Never going to let that one go. <laughs> I mean, <nor laughs> oh, I'm taking that one to my brain, man. Nor should you. I mean, that's, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite the heel turn. I feel like I, I feel like I hit with a steel chair or something like that. It was fucking crazy. What a triumphant story that could have been had he picked it up and handed it to you. Oh yeah, totally. But also, what a triumphant story as a heel yes. to not and steal it <laughs> from a fifteen-year-old chubby little kid with long hair. You know. So I sidetracked you. We started talking about Brian Liu. Um, what? Uh, who's all, who, who's also a future podcast guest? Oh, he has to be. Yeah. Oh, so the reason I brought up Brian Liu, though, was because uh, he had posted something on his Facebook about looking for stuff for the Master Robots box set. And I was like, yo, Brian, you've got to include when the money uh, rolls in because I only have a shitty copy of that. And I really want a better version of it. And in turn, we got the demo, which I didn't have. I only had a live version at Rosie's, which is also included on there. I so see. I, was I, I was never aware that they had, you know, 
with my dense Metallica knowledge, I was unaware that that song had been covered by them until you gave it to me at whatever point that was. Yeah, which was only a live version. And let me tell you, man, I'd like to think that my collection was pretty damn extensive. And I never even knew... I never knew a recorded demo version of When the Money Rolls Right In was even a thing. So when I saw, I had to buy the box set just because my money isn't all that it could be. But I've listened to it all online, all that's available online on Spotify. And that was the first thing I went to. Like, I, I scrolled through it and I was like, holy shit. You know, so I was very excited to hear that. You also gave me the first clean, good copies of the Ramones covers that I ever had because there was, you know, they had 53rd and 3rd, I think, was the one that kind of made the rounds. That might have been the one that was on the actual Ramones tribute. But they did several, which I think a lot of fans maybe don't realize. And I think they were all B-sides. I think for Frantic, maybe? Yeah, I think they were saying definitely saying Anger era. And I want to say maybe Japan, which still an era where if something was a Japanese-only B-side, you had to go to Japan to get it. Right, yeah. Or, like, you know, spend the $30 on a single. Yeah. Which I did. More often than not. <laughs> for, a, for a long time, I just had this crappy, I think it was a rip from YouTube that was all of them together. So they were all together on a single track, which is annoying. Um, and then I right, think, yeah, and then, I think YouTube, so I'm sure it sounds like shit. Yeah. And I think you were the guy that actually hooked me up with the uh, all, all five of them. That or, sounds about right. I definitely had them. They're not my favorite, but I had them. Well, you know, you know, what, you know what was my favorite? And of course, it, it was eventually included in Garage Inc., but I had for a long time as a prized possession the uh, the Motor Headache, they called it, which is when they did Lemmy's 50th birthday party. Oh, yeah. And they played as the Lemmy's, where they all dressed up as Lemmy and played a bunch of Metallica covers. Prior to that, in rehearsal, they recorded a bunch of Motorhead covers, and those were... Yeah, the and, Motor and, Headache mess. Yeah, and of course, they're all on Garage Inc., but you know, in those four or five years in between, um, I, I, had, yeah, I had that import. It was like a... Uh, it was all red. It was all red. red. It, was an yeah. until, it was an until it sleep single. And it had they released they released like three until it sleep singles, each with one or two of them on there, and then they and released then they did one the single with they, all of them. Yeah, they called it the yeah. whole motor headache mess. Yeah, and it had like an embossed, uh, like a raised sort of cover. like cardboard digipack. Yeah, it was yeah. fancy. I have that. <laughs> I believe I believe it had a fold out poster of them dressed as the Lemmys inside. I actually have. I actually bought that, and then I realized that there were these singles, and I had to buy them. So I probably spent like you know like somewhere in the upwards of like you know, hundred and fifty dollars on just load era stuff. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I chased all that stuff in the nineties. I, dude, I, I was just talking about this with who was on one of the guests I had on recently, uh, Doc Coyle, I think. I was explaining to him the outlaw torn, unencumbered by manufacturing version. Absolutely, <laughs> on the uh, Memory Remains Part Two. Yeah, a title, a, a, t- a title that just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, absolutely. They couldn't have figured out a better uh, yeah. way. Which, to put which that I feel thing. like which, was intentional. Mind you, sure. Well, and mind you, like I was—that's my favorite song, of the '90s. Same here for Metallica by yeah. far. And uh, I was so excited to get that, and then I realized it was really nothing. But like, right. and, uh, well, so maybe I've you could, really since, since you even that. remember yeah. which version of which single it was included on. You might know this because Doc asked me this, and I actually didn't remember, and I, and I need to look it up, or, or may, perhaps you can tell me. What is the actual? I know it's shorter, but how did they shorten it? Is that, is that it's the just, so? Remember, I think it's just the ending. Uh, if I if I recall correctly, because I haven't looked at it, I haven't, I haven't looked at it, I haven't listened to it in some time. But 
from what I recall, the note in the single said something to the effect of basically if we had gone over like a certain X amount of time yeah, on I know the actual road it. CD. I know because it, cause it, you couldn't yeah. fit that much music on a, the physical limitations of an actual CD. Right. I think it was just the end solo was cut down a little bit, like the outro. They, I think they just faded it out like a minute early. The, out, the Outlaw Torn and Bleeding Me are top 15, possibly top 10 Metallica songs, period, for me. I'll tell you what, I put Outlaw Torn solidly in my top five. Wow. Absolutely. Intense. Bleeding Me definitely rounds out a top 10. Now, mind you, I, now mind you, I have to put this out there, though, that like I've also listened to Metallica so damn much that I won't listen to some classic songs. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I've gotten to the point where I never need to listen to, say, a For Whom the Bell Tolls again. You know, matter of fact, if it comes on, I skip it. You know what? Doc made that point uh, where we were talking about how, you know, at any Metallica concert, obviously you're going to hear Inner Sandman, Nothing Else Matters, probably Seek and Destroy, uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Creeping Death, Master of Puppets. There's songs that, like, you're always going to hear one. And, um... Doc was saying he would pay twice as much to go to a Metallica show that's everything else, you know, that, that doesn't yeah, have me doesn't have those songs just so there's more room for the deeper cuts. Yeah, I mean, that was why I was really upset um, that I didn't get to go to any of those anniversary shows because it was like, man, I would kill to hear Carpe Diem, baby. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, uh, with the exception of like the uh, ridiculous Lulu songs that they played. Like, there was just, like, those deep cuts were always the ones I always gravitated towards. You know, like I said, like, I did get to see the Outlaw Torn live, which was great, you know, but, man, I would love to see, you know, poor Twisted Me. Yeah, I mean, when they when they did Bleeding Me at the anniversary shows, if you watch that on YouTube, you see Hetfield get this, like, little supercharge at the end where he's like, yeah, like, that's a really yeah. good song. Almost like he kind of forgot, you know, like, wait, that's a great song. On, on, um, on Load Tour, I remember they did play it a couple times, and... Uh, actually, oddly enough, I went to the, all three Chicago shows on the uh, first load tour because it was, I'll never forget, it was February 7th, 8th, and 9th, and my birthday is the 10th. Amazing. So between my parents and my sister and my friends, they all got me tickets for all three nights. So I went all three nights. And I know it was, I think it was the second night they put that song in the set list. And it was like an alternate song. So like they played like someplace twice that would pop in there. You know, and then the third night, our uh, the third night is when they played Fuel, but it's Fuel for Fire, with the original version with different lyrics. Oh wow! Which, which, mind you, I bootlegged, so I do, I have a copy of that actual thing that I recorded. I recorded all three nights of that tour. See, one of the one of the difficulties with double albums, uh, whether it's a Use Your Illusion one and two, you know, separate release sort of thing, or uh, you know, certainly something like Load and Reload, where it was conceived as a double album and then ended up being released separately. People assume, you know, oh, Load and Reload. Reload must be the the Love leftovers, the you know. And right. um, yeah, that's certainly not the case. I mean, Load has, uh, Reload, pardon me, has some very strong tracks as well. And there's definitely an argument to be made, like Use Your Illusion, that there's a much better single album than uh, a double album. I, I definitely say that all the time. I, and I, at a time, I, I think I did at one point say that I like to reload better than load. I now realize the error of my ways in that. Uh, as there it is definitely a lot more like, what the fuck is I going mean, I mean, load, reload, I mean, load, know, has, like, load has Outlaw Torn, Load has King Nothing. Bleeding Me. It has uh, Two by Four in the house that Jack built, which I put real high up there. Poor Twisted Me. Ooh, I love that jam. 
I would have fallen in love with Load much sooner because I was one of those fans that kind of dismissed it early on and then went back to it and fell in love. Had they not opened with Ain't My Bitch. I always say that that doesn't make my cut. No, me neither. And, and I, and, 100% and, of and time. To have, and to have, that, and to have that kick off that whole era was... Ooh. It, it was dicey. I mean, not to mention that, like, uh, it just seems so damn ham-fisted. You know, you didn't really know what the hell they were talking about. The song itself uh, is pretty cool if you take away the ain't my bitch part. Right. You know, it was just so right. out of nowhere, man. You know, like, it's not necessarily a bad riff. Um, I do think that pre-chorus kills. It's even, either the pre-chorus or the chorus has some of that, you know, Hetfield right hand, I'm air guitaring right now as I'm saying it. Um, oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, fast picking, like, it's... Yeah, there are some jamming moments, but then he, he says, ain't my bitch. And it's a weird thing, man. You know, like, oddly enough, I know it's a huge song, too. And I, I'll tell you what, I often, like I said earlier, like, I often say that people overlook the fact that that is some of the best lyrical Hetfield shit. Oh, for sure. I mean, he really uh, he really found his voice, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, literally and figuratively, I think, uh, with Bob Rock. I mean, during the Black absolutely, Album. Yeah. And, and I think really. he, he, him talking about his father passing away, which is something I've dealt with in the last couple of years, it's very relatable too. And I think everybody can relate to it if you have lost a parent too, you know. And um, you can see his like, you know, his like kind of like, you can feel he's in pain, man. You know, and like I honestly don't get that from Master of Puppets. I don't get that from Injustice for All. He's not talking from the heart. You know, and uh, I think that that is like always I can always relate to a more personal. Those record earlier can, records you know? are more storytelling, which have their own their own type of intensity and their own art to it. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, from Black Album onward, you're you are really getting like a personal visceral sing your life, James Hetfield. And I think he's very good at it. He's very good at Absolutely. putting himself under the yeah. microscope. And it only became more and more intensified as uh as it continued forward beyond there i mean yeah and as you said you know as someone who lost a parent i lost a parent very young and you know songs like the god that failed uh i mean they're so intense and that's yeah they're heavy man that's heavy stuff dude you know and like you know and obviously as he's gotten older and sober and yet etc etc he tries to go back to those points uh and uh as far as i think he should be storytelling again is what basically what i'm trying to say is I don't really I don't really know if he's getting the same sort of personal intensity as he was in like what was that like his early thirties, right? Well, I love Hardwired, and one of the things I love about it is that he went back to the uh, the vocal harmonies from the Black Album and the Load Era, uh, but against the backdrop. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing of the more you know technical and and aggressive sound musically i just i just think his lyrics are falling flat um i mean i mean i can make the same mix, uh, uh, argument on reload you know like mansions in memory remains you know i mean <laughs> mansions it's mansions bro all right like this not, god do i hate it you know like uh and then i you love know, that song what, though i like the lyrics i do song. too yeah. i do too i do too but mansions just drives me bonkers um, I mean, what doesn't kill you, make you more strong, kills me every time. Yeah, you know, I'm just like, God, it, 
that, 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 that one's a little rough. I mean, I mean, I mean, nothing, nothing really tops "I Am the Table," which I did. Ah, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely completely written off that entire two years. That never <laughs> happened. All right, you know, it's like that's like the uh, Star Wars prequels to me. They never happened. I've said this many times on the podcast, so I'll, I'll make it brief. I don't reject the notion that when you know an important figure like Lou Reed says, "Let's let's make something together." Yeah, explore it, do it. I mean, I'm not a Lou Reed fan, so it's a little harder for me to relate to. But but sure, what I what I think should have happened is you make the record, you put it on a shelf, it goes in the vault, and someday when Metallica's in that legacy artist Elvis Tupac realm. It's this curiosity of like, <laughs> Tupac realm. of like, hey, did you know once once upon a time Metallica made this weird German art concept record? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, you're talking to the dude that made a black metal record with Thurston Moore. Exactly. You know? Thank so, you. You know, you know, and, no and, arguments and, and, here. And, okay, and, like in all honesty, and hey, you put it out. <laughs> I did. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. totally did. And yeah, yeah, I think it's a little bit better than Lulu. I'm gonna throw that out there. Yeah. But then again, I'm not one here to you know to pat myself on the back. You are you are not the table. <laughs> no, I am not the table. No, although I did send my girlfriend a Valentine's while I've been on tour this last little bit. That was you are my table, and as a picture of James Hetfield. Oh so, wow! See, I mean, well, even, that's so sweet. Even know, in, even a, in the more difficult her. moments to process. And you know what? <laughs> and, and this is something I talked about with Alex Skolnick. Alex argues that, and he doesn't like the record, but he argues that releasing it was part of the art of it. That it, that it was almost intentionally challenging um, and that we're not we're not necessarily supposed to like it. See, OK, now, see, that is some that. OK, like I respect Alex Skolnick. Don't get me wrong. All right. And, and I respect everyone's opinion because we all have them and I have my own lame brain opinions. OK, but just to draw like a little bit of an analogy here. I just recently saw Mother by Darren Aronofsky and I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Darren Aronofsky. Uh-huh. That movie fucking sucked. I don't care what anybody says about it. It was awful. Okay. And just because it's art doesn't mean it's good. You know? And I think that people are a little bit too wrapped up and like, oh, well, it's arty. Maybe you just don't get it. But no, dude, I get it. All right. You know, the entire movie is an allegory for the Bible. I get it, man. It doesn't mean it was good. You know, just because Radiohead released an album and it's arty doesn't mean it's good. You know? And I think <laughs> that people are a little bit, maybe people are not so afraid to talk shit about Metallica being artists, but. Yeah, so sometimes we are too forgiving. In the, I mean, my, my argument with Radiohead is that people that praise Kid A are people that got swept up in the momentum of how incredible OK Computer was and were ready to anoint whatever came next as godlike and willfully forced themselves into pretending that that era of Radiohead wasn't garbage. See, now the funny thing is that Radiohead, or I'm sorry, uh, a Kid A and a music are my favorite Radioheads. But it's also because I really got into psychedelic drugs around then. So <laughs> on that note, I have to lean on my drug use. So I, I, I can't argue that, you know? I love it. Um, <laughs> so what what was your what was your take on, you know, obviously, you know, people are throwing up in their mouths hearing hearing all of our massive praise for load and reload. Um, <laughs> what was your take on hardwired? Oh, uh, I really liked it. I thought it was good. My real question here to pose with Kurt Metallica is uh, we all know, or maybe we don't know, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll uh, educate a few of you guys out there. You know that um, Dr. Dre didn't write the lyrics for a lot of 2001. 
Sure. Including, or, I mean, or, or the Chronic, for that matter. Or the Chronic, yeah. We're talking about songs, talking about how he is still Dr. Trey. He didn't write those lyrics. Mm. Now, my thought is, is why can't the most successful rock band in the world maybe have some dudes come in there helping write some songs? Mm. You know, because I, if anything, why isn't it down to like, hey, listen, can you guys like, can someone just edit this for us? I feel like they're a little bit surrounded with the yes men. When at this point in the game, I don't know. They're willing to, to they're willing to write a record at Lou Reed. Why are they aren't they willing to let some guys edit them a little bit? Because that's really my argument with them. I think I mean actually more with Death Magnetic, I could say. Editing them down a little bit would have really helped that record. And I even think it could have still helped on hardwire. You know? Well, and, and I, 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 I'm with you certainly with San Anger that that record. I, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things that it needs, uh, but editing, I think, is the if you were to pin it down to one thing that would salvage it, I would say editing. It just needs absolutely, and, and not even just that the songs are too long, but that they're um, oh, they're too long. <laughs> I, I mean, they are too long, but I they're mean, absolutely too long. The thing is that you know it's funny because I think that they were like when they put out San Diego, they're like, oh yeah, man, the songs are long again. It's like yeah, but you guys had like eight thousand riffs and they were opuses. You know, there were like melodic acoustic breakdowns with double leads. You were playing new metal riffs for eight minutes. And, and, you know? and they're just sort of haphazardly stitched together in a computer. Versus, Absolutely. Um, and like, don't get me wrong, I think that that's uh, not necessarily a thing you can really frown at nowadays, you know, but it was haphazardly done, not flawlessly done. Right. You know what I mean? Whereas, yeah, a, a song like uh, To Live, you know, To Live to Die or. Um, and Justice for All are long, epic tracks, but they take you on a journey that sort of makes sense. There's a destination. There's a there's moods and textures and tones. And I, I mean, look, I certainly argued that Saint Anger was necessary. It saved. The band. I think it was too. Um, well, and it's interesting. A necessary evil is what it was. <laughs> Amen. Um, <laughs> Maybe, and I think I think, um, I think I, I guess that helps me sleep at night thinking that. I think Death Magnetic, which is a record that I absolutely love, would have benefited from uh, some vocal harmonies. Yeah. Um, some double track vocals. And, you know, as, uh, people, of course, complain about the, the mix and, and moreover the mastering. Um, I'm not so hung up on that, but I, but I think... Hard- I'm not either. I'm not either, to be honest with you. I think that everyone getting on that was a bunch of people like... I think there's a, a definite argument for it, but I think a lot of people getting behind that don't even know what the fuck mastering is, because let exactly. me tell you something. I've done a lot of recording and a lot of mastering, and mastering me just means it's loud enough. All right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't believe half of these people be like, the mastering is terrible. It's like, shut up. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Doc Coyle, you know? Doc Coyle made that same point. Like, come on, bro, quit trying to. You know, it's like a lot of people when you hear them talking about film, and they're like, "I think the movie really struggles in the third act." A lot of those people, I'm yeah, like, I want to stop and go. Can you can you explain to me definitively where each act begins and ends in this film? A- absolutely, and, yeah. Or is that just something you say? Film school too, you know. Like I hear that shit all the time. I'm like, you know what the hell you're talking about? <laughs> you know, like because sometimes I don't know what the third act is. I I studied film, you know. Like so, suck it. No way. But yeah, I feel like um, Hardwired uh, fixed a lot of the, the kind of quibbles that I had with Death Magnetic. Me too. Yeah, it's definitely the best Metallica record since Load. <laughs> How For about sure. that? For you sure. Know? I, well, maybe since Reload. Because I, I, Reload is definitely the weaker of the two, 100%. And I would only take less songs off of Reload than I would Load. You know what I mean? 
So let's do this while I've got you. Um, and th- this will be a good kind of last thing to do before we wrap up and I let you go to sound check. Um, I've got the track listing for load and reload open in front of me. Let's make you're the guy to do this with. You tell me. And I'll keep my opinions out of it for the most part. Um, let's hear what your, uh, you know, ultimate load, reload mix would be. And so, we'll, and, and I'll just, here, here's what I'll do. I got to pull this up really quick myself, right? So, so I have it up here. So I can look well, I was going to say, you can pull uh, it up, but I, but, I, but I was also going to suggest that I can just go track by track and you can just give me a pass fail, like a yes or no. Yeah, let's do that. That'd be easier. So. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it like that. Ain't my bitch. Is that on there or not? Gone. <laughs> gone. <laughs> absolutely gone. Two by four stays if you ever heard that castle donnington from 95 bootleg version of this song you will agree with me too because that God. shit was heavy this is what this this is why i love you because i always tell people like <laughs> look like like when saint Edgar comes up i go i go hey check out the acoustic bridge school benefit version of all within my hands <laughs> exactly then you'll, then you'll feel like that's an awesome song because that rendition of it is killer or the original British School Benefit show where they played Low Man's Lyric. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. But Low Man's Lyric, I back the studio version, too. Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay, so I know you're going to say yes to the house that Jack built. Absolutely. One of my favorites. So here's a controversial song, Until It Sleeps. Love it. I think that video is great, too. I love how moody it is. You know, like, there's just, like, that song rules. Uh, it was weird when I first, ca- I first came out, and they were wearing eyeliner, and, like, Kirk was getting covered in gold paint. I don't know. You know, it was really weird for me, especially being like a what, 13 when that record came out, I think, or something like that. Like, uh, you know, you're you're in an odd part of life, and there was like some weirdness to it. But looking back, man, is that a well-constructed song? Uh, it's different, which is something that like I feel as though, um, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, like a different, you know, a sound from a band that I know. It was great. I love experimenting. So going back to that, absolutely. I'm with you on all of that, including the video. I know Hetfield's probably not a fan of the video nowadays, and I know yeah, uh, he looked and, good in the video, though, man. I agree, he and dude, harsh it, in that era. and when and when it kicks into the performance part, and he's got the Explorer, and they look awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're no, they look bad, blending, blending sort of all about. of it. Yeah, and uh, and I think that I want to say I don't want to put words in his mouth, of course, but I want to say that's the song that Newstead has expressed misgivings about. But I love really it. okay, that's um, weird. And uh, yeah, I mean, dude, they they were. I always say that Metallica in the '90s were being true to themselves, just like they were in the '80s. It just so happened in the '90s they were listening to Alice in Chains and Thin Lizzy and Soundgarden. Oh, yo, oh, dude, it's Coc Deliverance by Metallica. Um, so King Nothing. King Nothing stays. I love it. I love it. It's love one, it. Dude, and, and, I, and I love that video. I tr- I do too, and I tried. I can't tell you how many guitar pedals I bought around this era to try to emulate that first note that Kurt's playing. Wow! You, you know, I, I tried everything to do that. I still don't know how he makes it sound like that. It's awesome. And I've always I've always wanted to make a music video in the snow ever since that video. Yeah, me too, but it's never going to happen because I'm a total wuss. Good. <laughs> since um, the guy who's born and raised in Chicago, it's never happened. So here, so here's a, here's a controversial song, "Hero of the Day." I'm going to pass on this. And it's simply for time, because like if I'm gonna, if we gotta be real about this, right? Because dude, like, the, I, the, so- I, the song turns into "Ride the Lightning" at the end, which people does, don't realize. Totally, you know? it does. Yeah. But I'll, I gotta do it like this. All right. Whenever I've done this, and obviously you know that I've done this a bunch. I think you and I have had this conversation. Before. We have, like, but, yeah, not, okay, but not, so but, like, but not for the masses like we are right now. Yeah, not not officially. So I always say that you can't go past fourteen songs. 
Like, I'm not going to sit here and, and crunch numbers with time of the, of the tracks, right? But, you know, you can't go past 14. Load at 14. So you got to keep it at 14. So, unfortunately, in that regard, I got to let Hero Living. I, I, I got you. Because, you know, I like the song, too. But I could see, especially if we were making a mix to try to kind of convert some disbelievers in this era. Absolutely. Um, Hero Living would be a song that I would put on. And I know that song would be like, oh, this song? Give me a break. A lot of people like King Nothing. You know, I've been a lot of people that are like pretty much load haters. Like, oh, well, King Nothing's okay. So, you know, so, bleeding, that's a, that's so, so Bleeding Me is 1,000% on this. Absolutely. And like I said, we're going, I'm picking the two longest songs off this record. So, like I said, I'm not going to crunch numbers here for t- track listings or anything. But, you know, that already is 18 minutes of music. Indeed. So, uh, so Bleeding Me, what about uh, Cure? So, I used to love this one growing up. Not so much in my later age, so I'm gonna let it go. Poor twisted me. You've already talked about your love for that. Love that one. Yeah, that now this is the one that I didn't like when it came out. Now I've grown to be obsessed with it. I love that song. Are you going to waste your hate? I am going to not waste my hate <laughs> and and let that one go to the to the wayside. I used to love this one, um, and it was a staple of the time, live set wise too. And I, I remember a lot of people, were, this is another one, people were like, oh, man, that's a pretty good song, even though the rest of the album sucks. Yeah. And I, I thought that, too, and I don't know. No, I don't really like it. It's got some riffs, but, but I hear it you. It does have some riffs, but that doesn't mean that they're, you know, they're not bleeding me riffs. I'll tell you, you know? I wish James Hetfield would make a Mama Said-style solo album. Uh, you know what, dude? I would probably buy it. I will keep, I will keep Mama Said. I was going to say, I don't know that it belongs on a Metallica album, but I like it. Uh, I like it. How about this? The here we go, getting deep again. The Jules Holland 1996 performance of Just Hetfield and an acoustic guitar. Tell me that's not awesome. And you know, and 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 you know, one of the reasons we love each other. I am familiar. Yes. I am familiar with you that. Know exactly of which you speak. <laughs> yes, and that is what I'm talking about, man. That is what is up. So if I can say, I'd really like a solo acoustic version of that song on the record. Indeed. Without the without the country western part, even though I'm a fan of the country western part. Just doesn't really fit for Metallica, you know. What so, I mean? would you advocate pulling it from this mix? How about that? Yeah, let's pull it just to be fair. I, I would pull it even just just because you don't want somebody to give up on the whole thing. Um, right, exactly. Thorn within. Yes, absolutely. I love that song. Uh, yeah, it's great. That's awesome, and I love the Stone Temple Pilots riff. Ooh, good call. It's, it's totally sex type thing. Dude, it, wow, you're right. It's so 90s. Yeah, 100% is. It's so 90s. It's great. I'm from the 90s. Um, it's Ronnie, that's definitely a controversial one. Yeah, you know, I loved this one. Love this one, but I don't think it fits on Metallica. I don't think it fits with Metallica, unfortunately. And again, cut, cutting for time to try to trim this. Um, yeah, 14 minutes. I mean, 14 songs is what I'm going for. And I think I got like, what, six right now? I think I do right one, two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven with Thorn Within. And I'm going Outlaw Torn, so I'm at eight. Outlaw Torn is my track one. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna I I was gonna say, yeah, we sequencing is a whole Yeah, other no, that's a whole other thing. Um yeah. so fuel. Um I'm gonna go pass on fuel. Honestly. Controversial. And I feel like knowing you, I feel like knowing you as much as I love this song, especially live. I think you're going to pass on Memory and Remains. No, I'm going with Memory and Remains. There's okay. another song that I awesome. tried to emulate that high note thing with pedals. Could never get it. You know, dance little tin goddess, right? You know, could never figure out how they got that sound. <laughs> Amazing guitar effects on this on both of these records. In all honesty, 
There's some really yeah. There's some killer yeah. guitar effects on this. I think people totally overlook. Well, and I, I think people uh, when you look at these two records, there's a lot of Hammett co-writes, which is absolutely. something you see a lot of. Absolutely. Devil's Dance. Absolutely. There's another one from Donington before the year before Load came out that I thought that that song was it's way heavier back then. I think they were just you know maybe they were just still a metal metal band then when they were playing them. But man, dig it. Yeah, that was one of the ones that they broke out. Early. It was. It was that right. and 2x4. Um, Unforgiven 2. I'm a fan. I know most people aren't. I'm a, I'm a fan. I, I celebrate the whole trilogy. Uh, I, I definitely celebrate the first two. Uh, and I'm going to leave it on. Uh, I really loved that D-Bender Telecaster guitar part. I think that was great. Uh, I Man, did Kirk Hammett blow this song at the American Music Awards when they played it the live at one time. And I think, <laughs> oh, that's oh right. man, he screwed the pooch on that one. And uh, I'll tell you what, that song has never recovered, I think, in the eyes of themselves. But I thought it was a fantastic <laughs> rendition. Really strong chorus, too, to this day. Yeah, I'm, right now, it's already stuck in my head. That's going to be in there for, for a week. Love it. Oh, yeah. And, it, and, and Oh, and when we were talking about Hetfield as a lyricist, I mean, that's like a top Oh, yeah, five. it's killer. Absolutely. Yeah, he killed it. Uh, better than you. I'm letting it go. Not my favorite. This is like the song that you can make the argument that these were low B-sides. Yeah, I mean, like this is the one where you're like, wait a minute, yeah. maybe these weren't supposed to be a record, you know? Yeah, so that that song's a little undercooked, is Metallica. This, and it's ago. five and a half minutes. I'm looking at it right now. It seems insanely long. Slither. Also gonna let it go. And I know you like Carp Dan Baby. Oh yeah, that's my shit. That's a weird song, man. A real creepy too. I remember. I remember reading that Newstead was was really uncomfortable with the word "baby" in a Metallica song. I remember that too, and I remember thinking that like I remember Hetfield's response was that it had some cockiness to it, which I think kind of has always been a thing that I support. You know, a little a little Han Solo never hurt anybody. Indeed. Are you ready to choke on a bad seed? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have to point out here that one of my other all time favorite bands is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, and I knew that he <laughs> nice. named this song after them, and. Uh, I do really love this riff. Uh, I'll be honest with you that it is a song that I don't think I have heard in a long time. And I think for the sake of the hell of it, I'm going to say, yeah, let's keep it. Yeah, you know what? I don't think I've heard it in a long time either because right now I can only sort of remember. Right, right, yeah. You know what? I think that after I get off of this and I go soundtrack, I'm going to listen to it to make sure I'm okay with it. But I'm going to go with Bad Seed right now. I'm going to go with it. What about Where the Wild Things Are? (laughs) <laughs> wrong, that, that was a hard that was that was a hard this, pass. A, this goes along the lines of of uh both slither and better than you uh where i'm just like wait what is this this the riff isn't the riff seems lopsided um the the lyrics are really fucking bizarre uh it doesn't sound like a song it sounds like one of those ideas that should have been put aside you know like what it sounds like all the stuff that you, you hear on some kind of monster in that jam room before Hetfield goes to rehab. You know what's interesting about where the wild things are is it's the only Newstead co-write. On I don't believe that those co-writes are totally indicative of who had anything to do with those songs, though. You know what I mean? Because like I know that like at one point someone asked in one of the Metallica magazines for the fan club, "How does one get a writing credit in Metallica?" And Jay or Jason Newsom's response was, "Write a song with a different band." Which I thought was like harsh <laughs> as hell, and this is before he was gone, you know. So like, the, I right. remember reading that, being right. like, ooh, that's not good. <laughs> like, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, and that, that's a whole, that's a whole other yeah. topic when we, talk we can do about a part this, two about, about this. <laughs> well, yeah, because when we talk about this, kill them all credits. Oh right, Jesus. Um, 
So uh, Prince Charming. Uh, nope, sucks. Goodbye. <laughs> That's this, le- uh, this last half. Of this I can't, can't, can't really argue with yeah, you on that one. Yeah, this last half of Reno, like I said, it really. I really feel like all the songs I'm picking are the ones that are like, yep, that's a I mean, Fuel, I'm just letting go because as I'm, I loved it, but it's just like, ugh, you know? Like I said, what I saw in that car commercial, it really And And, me, and, and also, if we were going to, if the idea is that, which I think it should be, that we're going to present this to a Metallica fan who's dismissed that this era of the band, they've certainly heard Fuel already and they exactly, don't understand yeah. all that. If, that's, it, so. if that's the purpose of this, then the both track ones are garbage. You know? Like... Uh, so that leaves us with three more songs. Low Man's Which is lyric. definitely on. Gotta go with Low Man's Lyric, you know? Especially if I'm if I'm cutting off Mama Said. Uh, yeah, gotta go with Low Man's Lyric. That's my ballad, man. And and then we've got I Love It. And that's the song you and I have always, one of the songs you and I have always talked about covering. It's so someday. true, yes. And then uh, Attitude and Fixer. So Attitude, I'm also nixing, you know? Uh, once again, really dug it when it came out. I thought it was one of the stronger tracks. Truthfully, I think it falls right back into uh, the better than you category. You know, it's like, eh, it's kind of like whatever. It's, it's kind of a punk rock song, though, which I do enjoy. What's interesting about this this editing that we're doing is that as a hardcore fan, I love having a catalog with so much density and diversity to it that, we, that we've heard those songs and that we know them. And yet, when if trying to edit sort of like a perfect load reload, yeah, that that's that's a song I would. Yeah, that, that's a total. So song it, it's interesting, it, absolutely. Because because lo- losing it doesn't mean I don't. No, like no, it. not at all. I mean, if we're just like facing the fact that maybe somebody, maybe this goes, maybe this whole editing thing goes back to '96. You know, like maybe someone should have been like, "Hey guys, right. like let's not do Use Your Illusions One and Two. That shit didn't sell that well." You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know. Well, I mean, and one also maybe, and maybe someone says, "Hey, maybe your, all your B sides don't have to be covers and demos. Yeah, maybe like have actual, you know, maybe where the wild things are is an actual." True, be honest with you, dude. I mean, if you if you looked at if we kept load as is and then threw something like a member of mains as a B side, how much would we be freaking out about that? That's it's something to consider for yeah, sure. Yeah. So, and fixer, by the way, so we lose. Absolutely. Makes it. That's another one of my favorites from this era, especially towards the end of that breakdown when it comes back in and uh, uh, like it's just Hetfield's vocals for that line, and then it kicks back into the chorus. Oh, man, I love that. It gets me every time. And that's another uh, Kirk Hammett co-writer. Man, Hammett song. killed it in this era, if you ask me. Hammett's all over this. He's So, so just kind of looking at the songwriting credits real quick, um, Kirk is credited on Fuel, um, he's credited first. Weird. Actually, he's credited on the un- he's credited on the Unforgiven Two, on Slither, Carp DM Baby, Bad Seed, and uh, Fixer. Yeah, well, dude, Fixer was the jam, dude. Yeah, all those like backwards guitar stuff. You know, I re- also recall them opening up all the load shows with a jam, and it was always Bad Seed when I saw them. Or better than you, actually, was another one. I also remember that era is when they were doing the medleys of the early records, which I think pit, pissed a lot yeah, of people off. Yeah, they would walk out there with the lights still up, though. Yeah, or when, I saw I saw them do like acoustic kill em all songs. Yeah, well, on, on Reload, they were doing the little acoustics, and they were doing like the Four Horsemen, but it was like a two-step. That was pretty fun, if you ask me. People yeah. hated it. Yeah, and with the, and, and it was like the whole stage was, was gone, but there was like a little light bulb yeah, Absolutely, which, mind you, I saw that. Now, that was, what, 98 on that tour, I saw that happen in 1996, once again, on the Stone Temple Pilots tour. 
for Tiny Music. They did the same thing. They had an entire second set come down from above the stage with a bunch of pillows and shit. And uh, I love so Yeah, me too. Kirk Hammett is uh, credited on 2x4, uh, The House That Jack Built, uh, King Nothing, Hero of the Day, and Bleeding Me, which are three singles from that record. Wasting My Hate, Thorn Within. Man. Yeah, he's I all am, over. I'm clearly over a, a Hammett, dude. You know, I had... I, I guess so, I've yeah. I've owned two different Kirk Hammett ESP signature guitars over my time. You know, uh, I've always been a Hammett guy, even though I'm a Hatfield dude, I'm a Hammett guy. And interestingly, um, you know, because we all know, of course, Newstead has a, a riff in Blackened, um, and I believe he's got at least one co-write on the Black album. I don't think he has anything on Load. No, I don't think so. Like, I think it was just where the wild things are. And I want to say on the Black album it is My Friend of Misery. Uh, I'm going to look that up right now, actually. And Damn, you are correct. my knowledge I'm not, goes I'm deep. Not su- I'm, I'm not surprised <laughs> that you are correct. Well, you know, the thing yeah. is that it's like it's the song that starts with a bass solo, you know, that isn't really hearkened back in the song at all. You know what I'm saying? Like this, uh, I feel as though they were like, "Yeah, that thing sounds cool. Let's put it at the start, and then we'll have you do it in the middle, and I'll just want to crap over it." You know, like uh, yeah, very Kirk, separate. Kirk shows up more. Kirk shows up more on the Black album than I realized. I mean, of course, well, Edgar Sandman, the yeah. Sandman riff. Um, but he's also credited on the Unforgiven, through the Never, and of Wolf. Well, you know, I mean, I had this argument just recently about how that second half of the Black album is nearly flawless. You take away like all the singles. Uh, I think that record's incredible. Looking back at it, dude, I, I I love every single song on that record, unashamedly. Uh, <laughs> I love which, it. Which was interesting, it's yeah. Great. And it's funny when David Olsen was on; he said he likes the first half of the record. Well, they are great singles. Yeah, I mean, and he was talking about how they were inescapable with mandatory Metallica on the radio and, and all that sort of things. So. I did win one of those uh, contests. Tell me, okay, let, let, let's let's end with that. Tell me about that. <laughs> I. Uh, they were doing, uh, they were giving away like a double disc thing that had like, it was like, it was called Mandatory Metallica. It was like a double disc set. And, um, it was on Rock 103.5, Rock 103.5 in Chicago. And at, during Mandatory Metallica, they played three songs at like whatever, 10 or 11 o'clock. Uh, I called, you had to call in and name the three songs. And I remember it was definitely Stone Dead Forever was one of them. And I called in. Uh, and then, like, basically, they had a bunch of winners. Everybody got the CD, and then one was chosen to come down and host Mandatory Metallica one night. I did not win that, but uh, I did win. And I got the double-disc Mandatory Metallica CD. And it was, like, greatest hits, more or less what it was. Well, you are a winner on Speaking Destroy. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm glad to <laughs> for be a winner sure. here yet again. I'll be having you back, of course. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll have to I'll, go over uh, some other things. I, I feel like there's more to cover. The Atlas Moth can be found on all of the usual places on social media. I'd suggest starting on their Facebook page. You can also find Speak and Destroy on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where I assure you we aren't just constantly promoting the episodes. We've been posting rare and interesting bits from across the spectrum of Metallica's history. If you're enjoying Speak and Destroy, please, the best thing you can do right now is to go into iTunes, or wherever you consume podcasts, and leave us a five-star rating and a nice review. The more of these we get, the higher the visibility for the podcast, and the more people may discover it. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at Superhero HQ. If you're in the LA area, I'll be at the Musicians Institute on Thursday, February 22nd, hosting a Q&A with Alter Bridge singer Miles Kennedy. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey.